Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hi, we're so happy that you joined us today for this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. We are heading over to the West Coast of the United States to no other than Silicon Valley to talk to a fabulous woman who she is going to, I I love her. Her whole mojo is about market domination and she has built such an impressive career and has such fantastic knowledge to share with you. Um, You know, even at one point in her past, she was um, CMOs for VC-backed companies and helped raise over $32 million. So if that doesn't get you to think that you should take a listen to what she has to say, um, I hope you join us till the end. So our what we have with us today is Teresa Lina, who is the author of Be the Go-To, How to Own Your Competitive Market, Charge More, and Have Customers Love You for It. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Allison. I'm thrilled to be here with you. So tell everybody um, a little bit about the company that you have what inspired you to write the book and, and what you're doing in the world today? Sure. I, uh, I started my career with Accenture many years ago and after some time went off to start a, a firm focused on strategic marketing and market dominant strategy. And what was interesting, uh, even before I started focusing on that and what led me into that area was I had a strategic marketing consulting firm uh, that was working with a lot of professional services companies and IT services companies at the time. And I started noticing that my clients, even ones who knew me very well and knew our work and what we were capable of and what we were uh, particularly good at compared to other resources out in the marketplace, started really pressuring us to to lower our prices. And I was watching my margins fall and my costs go up. And I started trying to figure out what to do about this. And meanwhile, I looked back at my experience that I had had at Accenture, which is a large global management consulting firm, for those not familiar with it. And I had spent uh, time helping, uh, actually helping to start a business unit within that company. And we grew it to about $850 million in just around a decade. And all through organic growth, no acquisition. Well, gosh, Teresa, anybody would love to say that in a decade they've achieved <laughs> that kind of growth. <laughs> it was very exciting. It was a wild ride. We worked incredibly hard, and, and we were really uh, we were swimming upstream with that because we were a an accounting and management consulting firm trying to break into the telecommunications industry, which at the time was very geared toward uh, tele, you know, old school telecommunications uh, service providers and other firms that had only done that work. And we were outsiders coming in. 
And yet somehow we managed to build a great reputation. We became dominant in a particular part of the market. And so when I was facing my own challenges with my company, I looked back at what we had done to build this organization within Accenture and in that market. And then I also went out and did a bunch of research. I was actually on the phone, one of my inspirations for this as well, I was on the phone with one of my colleagues and she said, Teresa, I have a friend who is charging $50,000 a day to do exactly what we do. And she and I were both blown away by this and very envious on one hand, and yet so inspired because we thought, wow, <laughs> how in the world do you do that? And so that set me off on this path of doing research to understand what had we done at Accenture? What do you uh, what was she doing? What do other firms do to command these premium prices and somehow not only have the perception of delivering superior value, but actually delivering such superior value that customers clamor to have you work with them and you do become that first name people think of when there's some kind of problem that they have. You become the go-to for that issue or that challenge. And so with all this research, I looked at companies like Apple and Salesforce. Salesforce, which for those who don't know it, is a, a large customer relationship management and marketing software company, and now a whole ecosystem of, of um, applications. And they actually were a textbook implementation of the methodology that I ended up documenting it as part of my research. I, I, figured out there was sort of a pattern and there were four major pieces that every company did and you had to do all four. You couldn't do one, two, or three. If you did just one, two, or three, you might have temporary success, but to sustain the success over the long term, you needed to do all four pieces. So I, I codified this into a methodology that I called the Apollo Method for Market Dominance because I found that the Apollo Space Program was actually a fantastic metaphor for what companies need to do and all the things that it took to put a man on the moon were the same general broad stroke activities you needed to do to achieve dominance as the go-to in a particular market. So Teresa, what I like in, in what you've said is because you know, you've, you've talked a lot about some very big name companies and big name dollars and a lot of our audience are company founders and entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and, and they're you know, I talk to people at both ends of the scale. And so as you go through a little bit more and telling us about this Apollo method, for me, I'm thinking, well, in, in those early days, that space program didn't have, you know, they were in their foundational period. And so I think even our listeners who are in a foundational business period should be already thinking about that market domination. So, um, so tell us a yes. little bit about the Apollo method. Yeah, in fact, this applies whether you are an individual, a solopreneur, uh, a small company, a company that never plans to get large, but wants to be profitable enough to make life comfortable, or if you want to ultimately become a large enterprise. And the various case studies I discuss in the book, whether it's Walt Disney, Tesla, Amazon, Apple, uh, REI, uh, Harley Davidson. I like REI. <laughs> yeah, I talk about lots of different companies you would recognize and some you wouldn't. I tell some stories of smaller companies as well. But all of these, I, I, I talk about their early days because some of the stories that are most fascinating in the book are these hard scrabble, struggling 
situations that these founders ran into before they were the forces, the force of nature companies that they've become today. And, you know, even Salesforce, which is a behemoth now, tens of billions of dollars <laughs> in market cap, you know, they were telling, investors were telling them in the early days, no way is any company going to put its customer data in the cloud? Forget it. And they were having trouble raising money. Tesla and even SpaceX were on the verge of collapse at the same time. I have a story in the book that Elon Musk told one of our classes at Stanford uh, when he came in uh, to share his story. And he was talking about how uh, he just, he didn't know if either of those companies was going to make it. This was uh, I think uh, just you know one December, uh, one year in their early days, and both were on the verge of collapse. SpaceX had just had another disastrous rocket test. Tesla was falling apart at the seams, and you know he didn't know if he was going to make it. So there, everyone. Walt Disney faced bankruptcy. He stared bankruptcy in the face countless times as he worked to build his company. So there are, uh, I think, uh, people will take a lot of comfort in seeing that even these stories that have become huge successes now really faced lots of challenges, the same types of challenges that every entrepreneur faces every day. Well, and I, I love it. So, so here we go. You talk about market domination and you, you've talked about the, the, these kind of four pillars. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more? Um, and I know you said you have to do all four, but what do you find as, as indispensable, especially like you said, you're talking about Salesforce, about what people find for valuation. And, and again, we, we shared early on, um, you know, you have helped raise money for companies. And so what is it that the Apollo method can help, especially if companies are, are building with the idea of attracting more investors? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about sort of the biggest mistake. And then I'll, in many ways, the four pillars are aimed at fixing that mistake. But the, the fundamental issue is people don't differentiate. They don't differentiate their companies in a clear, compelling, sustainable way. So in the end, to the market, we all look and sound the same if we fail to really stand out with a provocative point of view and ownership of a market problem and a unique approach to solving that problem. So that's really the crux of this, is having a clear idea, especially when you're small. So the smaller you are, the more specific you should be. It doesn't mean it's a small market. You can have a huge market that's very narrowly defined, but you need to start out spe being specific enough to be able to gain attention and traction in the market before you set out to, um, you know, to broaden. So many companies start out too broadly. They don't really stand for anything. They, it's not clear as to what makes them different. And so they just look like part of the pack. They're just another me too. And one of my slogans is aim to be the go-to, not a me too. Well, and, and I like Teresa, what they do. you know, we've all been inundated. I, and I guess, you know, everything in business goes in cycles, but you know, we've all been inundated about um, our avatar client and, you know, the niche, you've got to have your niche, you've got to have your niche. But I really like how you use the word provocative 
to talk about your business proposition because that kind of adds, and forgive me if I say this, a, a little sexiness to what you're trying to achieve. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and it, it, it's, you know, you hear it time over and I, and I love, I do love your slogan, be the go-to, not the me too. And, um, and I do think like even on, on your own um, website, lineagroup.com, you know, it's got very simple branding, but it's very clear. It, it's, it, it states, you know, you, you can figure out by just looking at a couple of the photos on your site without even reading the text, kind of where mm-hmm. you're coming from. And, and I do think that what happens for company founders and, and business leaders is the world gets very cluttered. And, and so I appreciate that you're saying that that is one of the problems. So now help us with some of the fixes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if we talk, you know, the fundamental problem is we don't differ, companies don't differentiate. They all look and sound the same. And so then they start getting pressured on price and they start having to lower their prices and they become commoditized. Once they become commoditized, their margins are falling. Their costs still continue to go up and they get squeezed. And then it's either a fast or slow path to death. So instead they should be aiming to be the go-to and be so superior at the value they provide and so unique in the marketplace that they can command higher prices that, uh, that customers are very happy to pay. So the way to do this is there are four key phases. And I'll just quickly step through the four, and then if we wanna talk about examples, we can for each of these. So the, the, the four phases are launch, ignite, navigate, and accelerate. So with the launch phase, this is where you decide what you want to mean in the marketplace. This is sort of your, in many ways, you know, in traditional terms, this is your, your vision and your strategy and your positioning. And a, a loose, you know, even sometimes a, a vague definition of how it is you're going to go out and uh, solve this problem. So first of all, you decide what market you want to devote yourself to and you figure out what problem in that market you want to own. So many companies just decide on some product or service they're gonna offer. Let's say it's some software that does some function like uh, human human resources management or payroll processing or something. Um, Instead, pick the the market problem. Pick a, a big hairy problem that nobody else is adequately addressing. It has some level of urgency to it. It needs to have, you know, it needs to be common, critical, and urgent. Common, so there's enough of a market. Critical, so that it's important that people solve it. And urgent, because they need some incentive to act quickly. Otherwise, you could, you won't make money for ten years, you know, until the market mm-hmm. finally gets it. So you pick your. Your, your problem you want to own in the marketplace, and then you develop a point of view on around that problem. So why is it a problem? What's the fallout from that problem? Why should companies be concerned about this issue? And then what needs to be done about it? So for example, Mark Benioff with Salesforce, he said, he said it is ridiculous that companies have to spend millions of dollars on enterprise software and then spend tens of millions of dollars to implement it. It takes years to do it. By the time you've done it, you've, you're outdated 
and you're spending millions of dollars on an ongoing basis on all these consultants to help you keep the software current and do what you need it to do. He said, it's ridiculous. He, he said, we need to kill software. And he even had a logo uh, with a Ghostbusters round circle and a slash <laughs> through it over the word software. And he went around to conferences. Now he didn't, often he didn't even talk about his offering. He talked about this point of view that we have got to get our, we have got to start working in the cloud. We need to, you know, he called it initially software as a service that the term well, cloud wasn't really widely used. Yeah, before. no. And, and, and software as a, as a service um, is probably one of the most, like when you, when you read all these business trend books or, or you read like, you know, things that have changed the world, I think software as a service is underrated on those, on those lists and, That's right, yeah. and putting Moving everything the in, in, in the cloud. I mean, we just, um, my, the, the business that I manage in, in my day job, um, finally just got everything all finally to the, to the cloud because uh, uh -huh. seven years ago I stood in a server room and said, no, 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 this is going away. <laughs> this yeah. Is yeah. This Do I want to have to manage <laughs> all of that? You know, no, I mean, and, but at the time it was very, in yeah. fact, it, I, I, I talk in the book about you, you should have the ABCD criteria of your point of view, actionable, bold, controversial, and uh, distinctive. So, you know, his, his point of view met all of those criteria because he would stand up at tech conferences and I was in those audiences and he would, he would just, and he would get booed, you know, because there were all kinds of investors and, and enterprise software people in the audience. And, you know, he, it was very controversial, but he was, he was brave and he stood up there and said, this has to go. We, we have got to get rid of this stuff. And so, you know, the, his point of view was regarding software and his particular area was Salesforce automation. He was, uh, you know, Siebel was the big behemoth at the time, mm -hmm. which many people have never even heard of. I, I give at conferences and workshops, I talk about Siebel and and I say, Who, who's ever even heard of it? And no hands go up. But it was a huge company. And he, he said, what we're going to build is a stripped down version of Siebel. And we're going to go target companies that can't afford to spend all that money on it and who, you know, where Siebel is out of their reach. And so that's who they focused on initially. So they knew what their point of view was and they knew what they were gonna to do to solve the problem. We're gonna offer for starters, and this is a big important point, and I talk about a lot of this in the book, is what a lot of these well-known companies do now versus where they started is like night and day because they started very narrowly defined. And in Mark Benioff's case with Salesforce, they started out with, they took all the functions that Siebel had and they stripped away everything but the bare essentials and made it super easy to use, super easy to implement and, and get going with. And that's how they got started. So that's the launch phase where you decide what you're gonna mean in the marketplace, what your point of view is, and what your unique approach to solving this common critical problem is gonna be. And then you launch yourself into the market. It might be even with a press release or some kind of launch event, but you basically announce that you intend to own this problem. So it's more about what the market needs. It's not about you. It's all focused on the market and what role you're gonna play in helping take the market forward.
That's so, the launch phase. So Teresa, I think that this gives everybody a taste of, of what they need to take a look. And, and you've just given us such great gems. Um, and I personally have not read Be the Go-To from cover to cover, but I am looking forward to it and getting, and getting through it. I'd like to slightly shift, Teresa, though, because you have, like I said, such a, a fantastic past and, and all of the, the beautiful things you've done at, at this point in your life. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about and share with the audience what you do with Stanford. Oh, sure. Yes, I've been working with Stanford uh, since for about 15 years now, and I've played various roles there. I've, um, for the most part, I've been a consultant or contractor to them, uh, helping with various, uh, in various areas. So for many years, I was with the Stanford Technology Ventures Program, and I still am engaged with them in different ways. Uh, to support their activities. But that's a, an entrepreneurship education program within the Department of Management Science and Engineering, which is in the engineering school. And they do outreach, education, and research into what it takes to build large enterprises from scratch. So that's their specialty. They, they don't specialize in small business. If you want to start a little small lifestyle business or a small, um, you know, a, a dry cleaners or some serious individuals only business. need to apply. Yeah. Well, no, not so much that, but um, th they focus on technology enterprises. And, you know, the, the goal is what does it take to really scale, like start small, but then something that's going to have big meaning mm -hmm. in the market. And uh, they're, but they're not just focused on entrepreneurs per se, entrepreneurial leadership is their focus. And that means, you know, even if you go into public service or you go work for a large corporation, that you are an entrepreneurial leader who's innovative and always looking for new, better ways to do things and always um, taking, moving things forward. So that I worked with that group for a long time, um, running some outreach programs and doing some, uh, some marketing, uh, and communications for them and running some of their big conferences uh, and uh, both across campus and then around the world for other entrepreneurship educators at other universities. And then I've been working with the management science and engineering department for a number of years doing with various outreach activities to their alumni and their uh, different stakeholders. And then I also am involved in an uh, a, an executive education program at the business school, the Stanford Graduate School of Business. It's called the LEAD program. And this is a global online executive ed program. We have thousands of students every year. And their goal is to learn how to be more, uh, how to bring more um, innovation into their organizations and learn uh, leadership skills related to uh, innovation, driving innovation. So it's a fascinating program, and I'm involved in uh, helping to teach the strategic leadership course and some of the other leadership courses that they have. Well, and I think I, what I appreciate in that is, one, it's, it's just so many different facets of, of business and looking at business. And, and also, you know, just so our listening audience knows, Teresa, you're the real deal. You, you have a handle <laughs> on this. And you know, it's, it's, you can tell the book is written from a place of, um, 
well, passion is not the word, um, but from a place of just knowing, like a, a, a place of knowing, you know, business is important and this is what you need to, to know and do and, and follow. Um, so yeah. do you have any, any resources or, or tips or other, other things that you recommend to young business professionals as they're coming up that they should look into? Um, any, anything that people that you follow personally? Well, I, I reference a lot of other books in my book because I, I found that they've been incredibly valuable. I love, uh, it's an old classic in, in Silicon Valley, but Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore is a book that increasingly applies to other industries. It's more, it's focused on the tech industry. Uh -huh. I, and in many ways, it's a primer on strategic marketing, uh, but it's a fabulous book. I, I reference that quite a bit. And then uh, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell is another one that's really, really valuable for understanding how to get ideas out into a market. I, I talk about, I, I hit some highlights and recap some, some of the concepts. It's the whole, some of it's the whole six degrees of separation type thing. But um, the Ignite phase of the methodology is heavily built around how you, uh, how you leverage a network, how you build and leverage a network in the marketplace with power brokers and influencers and those early adopters who are going to help bring uh, drive adoption of your offering among other segments of your marketplace. So those are a couple of, of classics. And I, I, um, I also have various resources on the website on apollomethod.com. So it's www.apollomethod.com. And I have various resources that are either out of the book or um, supplement what's in the book. So access to things like some links to information on account-based marketing, for example. So uh, treating large complex accounts like markets unto themselves and some of those techniques that are being used today. So if you go to apollomethod.com, you can get some great resources. And then the lead program that I'm part of at the Stanford Business School is a phenomenal program. It sounds like Anybody it. Thanks for sharing world. that tip. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Teresa, we like to ask our guests, um, what's the, what, what's next? What's the vision? If we came back and talked to you in, in five years, um, what, what are we going to hear from you? Yes. One of the things I would like to do is build a, a member community of people who are, um, trying, working to use concepts from the Apollo method for, mar for market dominance. So they can support each other, share ideas, share what's working, what's not working, and also get more in-depth information on the Apollo method. I, I kind of just scratched the surface. I could write a book on each of the four phases of the methodology, <laughs> but uh, I would like to provide ongoing support through a member community. So I hope to build something like that over the next few years. Well, fantastic. Okay. Tell everybody again the name of the book and where they can uh, buy it. It's Be the Go-To, How to Own Your Competitive Market, Charge More, and Have Customers Love You for It. And you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on various online book retail sites, but Amazon's an easy one. And if you just search on Be the Go-To with my name, Teresa Lina, L-I-N-A, it should come right up. 
Yeah. And Teresa, like, like probably like most of us that are, are business book junkies, um, I always think the beauty of Amazon is I go and look it up now and just click it on my list so that when I'm ready to pull it up, they're, they're, they're there. Thank you so much for being a guest today and, and for sharing um, some really cool knowledge. Um, and I can see you as we're doing this podcast. So thank you for the, the smile throughout. Um, for our audience, thank you for joining us. If you have a company founder or entrepreneur that you know that's doing something cool in the marketplace, um, please send me a note at connect at alisonksummers.com and we'll consider having them as a guest. Until then, everyone, keep your eye on the future. And Teresa, thank you again. Thank you, Allison. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.